The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to another edition of Cowboys Cast presented by bloggingtheboys.com. I am your host, Bobby Belt. Cowboys, as we all know, had a bye week this past week, so there is no game to react to today as we normally would. Dallas will travel to Minnesota this weekend for a Halloween night matchup with the Vikings on Sunday Night Football. And with no game this past weekend, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do a Cowboys mailbag. I asked you guys via Twitter on Friday for your mailbag questions for this week's episode, so we'll dive into that. Before we get into all that, though, we are going to do a quick recap of just sort of the Cowboys headlines, news, and notes from the bye week. There wasn't a ton going on, but, you know, it's best to just go ahead and recap some of these things so they're not just left unsaid and pretend like the week didn't happen at all. There were still a few things that occurred for the Cowboys last week. Uh, The biggest story coming out of the bye week in my opinion, was the arrest of Cowboy safety DeMonte KZ. He was arrested for driving under the influence um, on Tuesday night or early Tuesday morning, late Monday. Um, And here's how DallasCowboys.com reported it. DeMonte KZ was arrested Tuesday morning and charged with driving while under the influence. The Cowboys veteran safety was arrested at roughly 3 a.m. Tuesday morning in the Colony, a Dallas suburb located near the team's facility in Frisco. Reports indicate that KZ failed a field sobriety test and his charge is a Class B misdemeanor for a first-time offense. The 28-year-old posted the $2,500 bond and was released on Tuesday afternoon, so that's from DallasCowboys.com. Jerry Jones was on with Sean Sharif and RJ Choppy on 105 Through the Fan last Friday. He said this about it, quote, I have not heard from the NFL. That has a protocol. I don't know the particulars of the arrest, so we'll wait and see how that goes. And so you could be looking at a potential suspension, for DeMonte KZ. I know sometimes the league is a little slow on some of these things, and so maybe it, you know, plays out a little bit and he doesn't get punished for this until, you know, beginning of next season, or maybe it comes a little bit later in the season. Um, but DeMonte KZ is fourth on the defense in snaps played this season. He's played 349. That's just over 90%. Um, he's generated two turnovers in the red zone this year. So he's definitely been a big part of this defense through six weeks but he's also been a big part of the locker room and some of these culture changes that we've seen on defense. And I think that is the aspect of this that is most damaging. 
and probably most upsetting to the Cowboys is not so much the offense, which is bad. It's drunk driving. You never want to do that. And it's it's it reflects poorly um, and it's dangerous. You could kill somebody. Um, it, it NFL players have killed people before in drunk driving accidents. Um, and there's no reason that it should happen um, for anyone, really. But especially if you're an NFL player where teams offer car services and, you know, somebody if you are out partying and you're drunk and you need to get home, uh, you don't have to pay for it. You know, NFL teams will make sure you have an ability to get home. They don't want you to do what DeMonte KZ did. Um, and even still, you're an NFL player. You're, if, if you don't want to do that and you just want to call an Uber, you can pay for the damn Uber. And so it's all certainly a, a disappointing thing, but uh, it, it matters, I think, who it was. Um, I think that's the biggest disappointment in all of this. We've talked about this before on the show that um, – KZ is, has been a, a leader in that locker room. He's been somebody that a lot of the young players on defense, particularly in the secondary, have uh, rallied around, have leaned on, um, have, have looked to for cues on how to handle themselves as a professional. Um, he, he's been a big, big advocate for Dan Quinn's message. Uh, both he and Keon O'Neal, guys who were with Dan Quinn in Atlanta, um, they've been a big part of of helping the guys on defense understand these concepts, buying in to what Dan Quinn wants to do. Not that it's difficult. A lot of these guys are, are really excited to play for Dan Quinn and, and believe in Dan Quinn, but it helps when you have a couple veterans come in here and say, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. This guy knows what he's doing. Um, so I think that's the biggest disappointment for the Cowboys is not so much the offense, which would be disappointing regardless of who it was or or, or what it was. But to me, I think the biggest disappointment for them was just who it was. KZ was a, a guy that this is one of the last people I think they would have wanted to see, at least from the impact that it could have in setting an example with some of your young players. So we'll see how this plays out. As Jerry said, there can't comment too much on it because there's still a protocol and a process that, you know, has to take place. I know Mike McCarthy said on the Cowboys Hour with Brad Sham last week that he had talked to KZ about it. He kind of kept the details close to the vest, but, you know, said it was disappointing and that he had had a conversation with him since it happened. And, uh, you know, it's certainly not the way you wanted to start off the bye week. All right, another big headline from last week is what the Cowboys are saying about Dak Prescott and his calf strain. Uh, in that same 105.3 The Fan interview where Jerry Jones spoke about DeMonte KZ, he told Sean and RJ that he feels good about Dak's status for this week uh, in the game coming up against the Vikings. He said, quote, big old thumbs up. Steven Jones was also on The Fan on Friday. He spoke with G-Bag Nation. He weighed in on Dak as well. He was saying, quote, we're very confident. He obviously feels like he's going to be playing. I wouldn't bet against him and feel confident that he's going to do what he needs to do to get himself ready to play, end quote. So uh, I know Ian Rappaport was on game day morning on NFL Network on Sunday, and one of the things he talked about was Dak Prescott's progress during the week. Would have been difficult for him to play had it not been the bye week, but uh, Ian said that Dak had a really good week of rehab, particularly Saturday, um, where he did a lot of work in a pool. Um, and I know he was out on, I believe it was Saturday night or Friday night. He was out at the, uh, you know, uh, Chris Young concert and was not in a walking boot anymore. 
Um, there's a Chris Young concert here in the Dallas area, and he was out there and uh, boot free. And so uh, trending upwards looks encouraging that he's going to be ready to play. How mobile he'll be, I guess we'll have to see. We'll have to see how much he practices this week. Um, but it's certainly uh, looking to be positive news and positive developments for Dak Prescott playing against the Vikings on Sunday. And finally, Noah Brown got the TMZ treatment at the end of last week and was briefly trending on Twitter. Uh, not for anything too serious, um, but, you know, you never want to end up on TMZ. Um, it, it's certainly not the same TMZ treatment that DeMonte KZ got with his mugshot being shared. So uh, I guess in that sense, it's it's a positive. But if you don't follow basketball, there's been some drama between the Philadelphia Sixers and their disgruntled star, Ben Simmons. Simmons once out of Philadelphia. He's been pretty unhappy that he's still there. I'm not going to recap the whole story. You can Google it. This isn't a basketball show. Uh, but Eagle center Jason Kelsey went off on Simmons last week. It didn't sit too well with Noah Brown, that criticism. Uh, Noah went on his Instagram and said the following in a series of posts to his stories on Friday. Uh, quote, MF, I'll let you figure out what that means. MF, need mind they business, blank corny. Uh, all these Philly athletes trying to blank on Simmons for an extra pat on the back from Philly fans, cornball activity. Philly fans not trying to hear me, but it's code to everything. And I don't know when speaking on another man's habits and accountability to something that ain't got blank to do with you become cool or became cool. Uh, Philly's still going to fire you up next time you F up. So sit back and mind your business. So, again, certainly not the worst thing to get, uh, you know, exposed on TMZ for. Um, but I, I don't think you want any sort of, you know, TMZ attention or, or to trend on Twitter for the wrong reasons. And there were a lot of people actually on Twitter who were agreeing with Noah Brown. There were a lot of people who said Noah Brown was kind of doing the exact same thing that Jason Kelsey was, though, and that he was accusing Jason Kelsey of doing. He was just doing the reverse. Um, but, you know, certainly you didn't want two Cowboys on TMZ in one bye week. I think they had gone pretty well uh, without, you know, they, I think they were on a pretty good TMZ list streak for this season. Um, but, you know, nothing too major, just something that was out there in the news last week. All right, so those are the headlines. Um, let's pivot over now to your questions and the bye week mailbag. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As I mentioned, uh, I asked you guys at the end of last week on Twitter for some of your mailbag questions, and these were some of the ones that you threw out there. Uh, the first one came from Philippe, who is at CA underscore Sprinkles. 
And he said, percentage odds, the following players will be on the team next year. Demarcus Lawrence, Lyle Collins, Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Leighton Vander Esch. All right, so I'm going to group these players. I'll give you the, my percentage odds, but I'm going to group these players into like three categories. Okay, so we're going to have likely to return, unlikely to return, and uncertain. And I think uh, Philippe or Philip or Philippe or however you pronounce that, um, I think he's hit on the exact right collection of players that we're, we're really not totally sure about. I think these are the seven um, that are, are surely the most interesting ones for us to look at. And I think that all seven of these guys, there is a, a question about them returning. And so I don't think there's – most of these guys are not likely to return. And the ones that are likely to return, I think, are, um, you know – Barely in the category of likely to return. And again, not not to say when I say I don't think most of these guys are likely to return. I don't think that I'm saying I think all seven of these guys are gone. I'm just saying there's so much uncertainty about it right now, and they very easily could not be here next year. Um, but I, I do have a couple of guys that I have slightly in the column of likely to return. And so uh, two guys in there, Blake Jarwin and Amari Cooper. Uh, Jarwin, I have both of these guys at 60% likely to return. Um, Jarwin I have in there because as much as Dalton Schultz has come on, um, and we'll talk about this here in a sec, I think Dalton Schultz's money is going to be a complicating factor here. And I think that when you look at a lot of people have been disappointed with Jarwin's performance, how he's been overtaken and, and, you know, hasn't quite lived up to the contract. It's still not a ton of money on the books. I I mean, when you look at it, it's really not obscene. Um, I think this team still wants to do a lot of things in two tight end looks, um, and so I, I don't believe that, uh, you know, they want to move on from either Jarwin or Schultz and Jarwin's money is already on the books and it's not too much to have to swallow. So I think that he would make some sense. Now they still could be looking for cap savings to save some guys. And so maybe they look at Jarwin. That's why he's only at 60% and they say, you know, okay, well we need to free up something and we feel like we can get similar production by drafting a tight end or bringing in a veteran the way they did with Blake Bell or something like that. Um, but I, I would lean right now towards Jarwin returning, especially again, not too much money already. It's already on the books and the cap is going to continue to increase. Um, you know, there's fans have been in attendance that revenues return. They've got the big TV deals that are going to be coming into effect soon. So, uh, I think that Blake Jarwin is still slightly in the column of likely to return. Same with Amari Cooper. We've had this discussion before about, the fact that the Cowboys haven't restructured Cooper's contract, even though it seems like it is a prime candidate to have it happen. Um, you know, they, there's not much guaranteed money in the back half of the contract. In fact, there's none, I think, in the last two years. Um, and so it's it's set up to where you could normally restructure something in year, you know, after year one or into year two. And the Cowboys have decided not to touch that one. They, it seems like they want the flexibility to move on from him. Um, and I, I don't know that it's so much they specifically want to move on from Coop versus they'd like to have the option to pick Cooper or Gallup, um, depending on how this season plays out. And so I could see um, keeping Coop flexible so that they can make the decision, make the determination uh, at the beginning of the offseason, not necessarily that they want to move on from Coop, but that they want to be able to pick which guy they'd like to keep for the long term. Um, I personally am a big fan of Amari Cooper. 
Um, I think you saw in the sounds from the sideline from the Patriots game how much the guys on the roster respect him for how he guts it out and how he plays um, through all of his injuries. But that's the thing. They can't keep him healthy. He is always banged up. And when he is banged up, he even though he plays well and he can contribute, he does not play nearly as well as his contract would ask him to. And he doesn't play nearly as well as he does when he's healthy. When he's healthy, he's you know a top 10 receiver. He's you know one of the three best route runners in the game of football probably. Um, but that availability, that health is a, is a question mark. Um, and it's a a lot of money that you could free up by letting him go. Um, and you know, Michael Gallup probably isn't going to command anywhere near the same sort of salary that Cooper has currently. Um, maybe they decide they want to hold on to it and not make the restructure until next off season. Maybe that's the plan. You restructure it to free up the money to sign Gallup and then you can keep both of them. Um, but I think I'd lean towards Cooper still just because he is such a, a well-respected player. He does have a great relationship with Dak Prescott. And uh, I think, you know, as the cap continues to grow, his deal's going to look like a, a good bargain. So those are the two I'd have in likely to return are Jarwin and Cooper. Uh, I've got two guys in unlikely to return, and that's uh, Demarcus Lawrence and Michael Gallup. Um, and we just kind of talked about Gallup there with the Cooper thing. I'd put Gallup at 25% right now. Um, just because I think, you know, it's going to be tough to uh, allocate those funds. Um, I think Cedric Wilson will probably be a cheaper player um, who you can get similar production from, not quite as good, but similar production from, and still a guy that Dak has a pretty good relationship with. Um, And so I would put Gallup at unlikely to return right now, but I'll I'll stick it at 25% because I think they are setting themselves up to be able to pick between um, either Gallup or Wilson, um, depending on how Wilson plays, or Gallup and Cooper, um, or maybe they're able to, you know, finagle some things and and get it to where they can keep all three. I kind of doubt it, um, but I'd lean more towards them keeping Cooper than Gallup at this moment, and so I have Gallup and unlikely to return. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence is uh, unlikely to return, I think. I have him at 20% right now. Um, he's the one I feel most confident about, but there's still a 20% chance he's back, but he's the one I feel most confident about won't be back next year. Um, just cause you know, he's getting up to, in fact, let's look this up right now. I'm not exactly sure he's, if he's not 30 yet, he's getting close. Um, he is, da, 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 he's 29. So he'll be 30 next April. Um, and so, I mean, he's getting older. He's constantly dealing with injuries. He's a really good player. Um, but you know, Randy Gregory's really come on. Randy Gregory is a free agent who they want to keep. Um, and I, as much as Randy Gregory's had a good season and could continue to have a big season, I don't know that they'd have to pay him the same amount that they're currently paying Lawrence. And so there's a big potential cap savings by letting D law go. Um, they've shown that they've been able to continue to win games. and The defense has been able to play well without him. So I think that, uh, with Chauncey Golston coming on and, and how they're excited about him and Randy Gregory playing the way he is that Demarcus Lawrence could be a way that they could free up some money and, you know, pay Randy Gregory. And so I think that would probably be their priority. So out of everybody on this list, I have Lawrence as most unlikely to return. Uh, Now let's go to the uncertain guys. And I think these guys are all 50-50 for different reasons. I've got Lyle Collins, Dalton Schultz, and Leighton Vander Esch in uncertain. Um, All of them at 50%. Uh, Leighton Vander Esch is at 50% just because, you know, they've got young linebackers that they're fans of. Um, they could bring back Keon O'Neal. Um, actually, Neal's deal might be a two-year deal now that I think about it. But either way, I think, you know, it wouldn't be too difficult for them to move on, for Neil if, move on from Neal if they decide to keep Vander Esch. But um, Vander Esch hasn't played great at times this season. 
Um, he's been okay. I think he's been better since Jalen Smith left. Um, but ultimately, I think that what this question comes down to is how what what is Leighton Van Der Esch's value on the market? If he you know ends this season and he's played okay and his value is a little damaged, you might be able to get him back on a one year deal. Um, you know, after declining his fifth year option, similar to the way that the Cowboys did it with Morris Claiborne, where they declined his fifth year option, but they still brought him back uh, after that fourth year had ended on a one year deal um, because his, his you know value wasn't too high. Um, and so I think that Leighton Vander Esch could be in a similar position. Um, and so just it, it, it's totally 50 50 because it depends on how well he plays and, and what his market looks like. Um, Lyle Collins is 50 50 because I think the Cowboys as much as Cowboys fans seem to think that Lyle Collins was getting railroaded. I think the Cowboys were really frustrated with Lyle and how he played that out, how he didn't just take the two game suspension. He decided to fight it. They lost him for five. Terrence Steele was able to step in and, and play really well. Um, you know, he's been okay in pass blocking and they've gotten him some help. And so it's been passable um, and he's been good in the run blocking and he's much cheaper. And so I think that there is, uh, you know, you've got not just somebody who's seemed pretty unreliable the last two years. Um, but then you also have somebody who's shown they can step in and, and make plays and, and the level of play is not such a significant drop off that you feel you can't live without that player anymore. You know, the Cowboys felt they couldn't live without, you know, Lyle Collins last year. And so uh, he was back and they were happy to have him. But, you know, with Terrence Steele coming on and the way Joe Philbin has believed in him and, and the work that he's done to really improve and do a really strong job, um, I, I think it makes Lyle Collins a question now. The only reason why he's at 50% is because he is as good as he is. I think if he was just a step below how talented he is, um, it'd be an even easier decision and they'd move on from him. Um, so I could see Steele being a guy that, you know, has played well enough potential to potentially uh, have them move on from Lyle this offseason. And then the number one one, the one that I think I'm most puzzled about, about I don't know where it's going to go, is Dalton Schultz. Um, I think Dalton Schultz has probably played himself into a contract that is north of $10 million annually. Um, I, I think he could get that on the open market. He's been an incredibly reliable target for Dak Prescott. Um, on third down this year, players with at least uh, 10 targets on third down. Dalton Schultz has the third highest passer rating when targeted in the NFL. Uh, it's at 142. The only guys who are higher are Hunter Renfro and Mike Williams, um, or at least they were heading into this past weekend. So he's been reliable. He is a strong blocker. He is a uh, you know reliable hands, reliable playmaker, reliable chain mover. Um, He's going to be pricey, though. He is going to cost you more than Jarwin. Um, and maybe the Cowboys look at some of these, you know, all right, we can move on from Lawrence. We can move on from Collins. We can move on from Cooper. We can restructure Cooper. You know, we can do this or that and, uh, you know, find the money to keep Dalton Schultz and Cedric Wilson. This may be the question that they look at at the end of the season. They may look at it and go, would we rather have Demarcus Lawrence and Amari Cooper at their prices or move on from Marcus Lawrence and Amari Cooper and re-sign Randy Gregory, Dalton Schultz, uh, Cedric Wilson, and Michael Gallup. That may be more valuable to them. Um, and they got to figure out a way to keep some of these safeties, potentially. Um, I, KZ had his issue, but they still like him as a leader. Um, and, you know, J. Ron Curse has come on and played really well. You know, maybe they need to find the extra money for that. And so uh, there's a lot of mouths to feed. And the Cowboys know that. And 
I think what they anticipated Dalton Schultz was going to be worth heading into this season, it's gone up. And I think they know that. Um, and I just don't know that they're going to have it budgeted. Um, but Dalton Schultz is, is going to command a, a top salary for a tight end. Now, he may take a hometown discount because, um, you know, I know talking to some people, he really likes playing for the Cowboys and he really loves playing with Dak Prescott and has a really good relationship with Dak Prescott and knows they have some special chemistry. And so um, going to be a lot of factors at play there that just makes it really uncertain to me about which direction Dalton Schultz is going to go. All right, thank you for that question, uh, Philippe. Uh, next question is from KW76. His handle is at KWilsonVA. He says, besides the return of injured, suspended players, what changes in player rotation or scheme do you think we might see after the bye? Well, as you said, you know, with injuries and suspended players, you know, Gallup's going to come back. That's going to change snaps for Wilson. Collins will come back. Um, assuming it sounds like he'll take his job back and Terrence Steele will become the swing tackle. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, the, the return of injured players and suspended players and things like that is going to change up the rotation. But outside of that, as you were asking, um, you know, they moved on from Jalen Smith in part because they'd like to get some more work for Jabril Cox. But, you know, how do they do that? Uh, Micah Parsons is playing pretty much exclusively at linebacker again. Um, and with Demarcus Lawrence coming back soon, that's going to continue, I think. I think you're going to see him less and less doing anything on the at defensive end. Um, Leighton Vanderish has played better in recent weeks. Keanu Neal's back off the COVID list, and he's back playing and getting into the swing of things. And so um, it, it's just going to be harder to find snaps for Jabril Cox, but I think they really want to do that. Um, they haven't really been able to do it yet. He played just one snap against New England, but they want to find – uh, those those plays, those snaps for Cox to get on the field. Um, and so I'd look for them to do something to get a little bit more of him in the rotation. Um, now that all your safeties are healthy, you finally got everybody healthy and ready to go and, and you know, active. Um, you know, the first week when Donovan Wilson was healthy, Malik Hooker wasn't really ready to play. And then as soon as Wilson got hurt, Hooker was able to step in and play. And so you've had this rotation of, you know, three safeties of Curse, KZ, and then either Wilson or Hooker for most of the season, depending on who was available. Um, but now you've got everybody available to you, all four. And so uh, I, I would guess the rotation will change somewhat there. I don't know which direction they're going to go with that, but that will look different as the season goes on. Um, and then I think the big one is they'd like to figure out a way to play one of the Connors at center. They want Connor McGovern or Connor Williams to be able to play center and take the place of Tyler Biotish, I think. Biotish has played better in recent weeks, um, but he still has had the snap issues in the shotgun. Um, and, you know, that can uh, cause turnovers, as it did in the red zone against the Giants. So I think they'd like to see one of those guys take command and, and you know, put out their best blocking five players. Um, but so far, the the logistics and, and the execution of, of playing center, not just the aspect of who can block well, um, but everything that comes with being a center, Connor Williams and Connor McGovern haven't been able to step up and do yet. I'd be interested to see if the Cowboys are able to uh, shift that direction as the season goes on, if they continue to believe less in Tyler Biotish. Uh, next up, we got a question from Mike Bauer at Bauer underscore Power, Bauer's B-A-U-R. Uh, what is a realistic expectation for this team? They're a Super Bowl contender, and we've said that the last couple of weeks. Your expectation should be for them to be in the running for the number one seed and to be one of the betting favorites to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the playoffs. So I think playoffs is uh, 
not just an expectation. I think it's a likelihood. I think it's a reality. Um, you know, Philadelphia and Washington lost. Uh, New York won over the weekend. That puts everybody behind the Cowboys at two and five. So with the Giants and Washington having bye weeks coming up over the next couple weeks, um, Philadelphia, as long as they don't win four in a row and Dallas doesn't lose four in a row, then Dallas is pretty much guaranteed to be in first place by Thanksgiving. That's still a month away. You know, we're talking about Dallas having real command on this division and assuming they continue to win games and, and they beat, you know, a Denver and Atlanta or, you know, Kansas City, who's now at three and four. Uh, Kansas City's one and four against everybody this season except the NFC East. And so uh, you would assume Dallas is going to start winning some games. This legitimately could set up to where Dallas has the division done, wrapped up, clinched by December, you know, first week of December, which is insane to think about. But NFC East is pretty much over, I think. And so that's done. And the expectation or, or the reality is that this team's going to be in the playoffs. So now your expectation should be to compete for a Super Bowl. Uh, next question is from Cowboy Cobra. That's at Cowboy underscore Cobra. Hardest game left on the schedule for this team. Look, they are three and four, and Patrick Mahomes has looked, you know, rather mortal. And there's a lot of regressing to the mean for Kansas City, but. Kansas City on the road is always a very difficult game. Playing at Arrowhead is always tremendously difficult. And despite their struggles, Kansas City still has a ton of talent. Um, it may be a shootout. It may be a 45-42 type of game with the firepower that both those teams have. Um, but Kansas City on the road is still a, a pretty difficult game, I think. Um, the best team left on Dallas's schedule, it looks like right now, is Arizona. They're 7-0 now. Um, Dallas would be at home for that game, though. And with it being the second-to-last game of the season... There's no telling where each team is going to be in the playoffs race or, or where they're going to be in the race for home field advantage. Um, and if, you know, they may be resting players, depending on how the season plays out. So that may be a, a moot point that it's the best team you faced if neither one of you is really um, actively being competitive in that game or if one of you isn't being actively competitive in that game. And so um, I, I would still be you know New Orleans on the road can be a tough one they play tonight on Monday night football um so I those are the games that stand out to me Kansas City and New Orleans on the road um and then Arizona at home my inclination is still to say it's probably the Kansas City game but I I wouldn't blame you if you don't think that at this point uh we had a dual question from Andrew Neal at Toxic Death and then uh Mr. Vallejos at Girl Dad 88 uh Toxic Death Andrew wonderful name, said what is one weakness in the team you would try and address at the trade deadline, not necessarily a trade you would want to do, but just the area of the team you would like more depth or to strengthen. And then Mr. Vallejos had said names to keep an eye on at the trade deadline. So similar trade deadline questions. Uh, Jerry, again, on the fan last Friday had said, quote, we're open for business year round. On the other hand, we got a unique situation because we've got players coming that we're going to have to that we're going to have to have roster spots for. We got a little bigger problem than trading for somebody right now. So it doesn't sound like the Cowboys are going to be too active at the deadline. That's not surprising to me. Um, I think it'd be tough to work anybody in um, as a regular contributor, given how well the team is playing right now. Um, and they're going to have to already work some guys back when they're coming off suspension and injury and things like that. Um, but I, I think that to answer Mr. Vallejos's question, a name to keep an eye on, I, I don't know that a name to keep an eye, but I would have loved if they would have gone ahead and made a move for Xavier Howard before the year. Um, they didn't want to give up the draft capital and then also have to pay his contract, though. Um, 
and so I understand that. But Xavier Howard, a guy who um, last year had 10 interceptions, and, you know, we've already got Trayvon Diggs on his ridiculous pace. As we talk about, like, not throwing to certain guys or, or, like, teams eventually not throwing at Trayvon Diggs, it'd be really difficult to not throw at Trayvon Diggs and not throw at Xavier Howard if the Cowboys had that set up. So that's, that'd be kind of a dream scenario to me if you could run out there with Anthony Brown, Xavier Howard, and uh, Trayvon Diggs. But I don't think the Cowboys are going to make that move. Um, in regards specifically to Andrew's question about the area of the team you'd like to see more depth or to strengthen, um, I still would like to see another veteran corner in here. Um, you know, Maurice Kennedy had that uh, concussion, and they haven't seemed to want to play him too much anyway. Um, but I think a, a good veteran corner that could come in here and give you some extra snaps and give you some different looks and, and give some, you know, have some opportunities to take Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown off the field, not have to, you know, overexert them. Um, I think that would be good. And we've already talked about how much the Cowboys seemingly want one of the Connors to step up and play center um, for Tyler Biotis. So I don't know if there's a center out there maybe that they think could come in here and compete and do a better job than Biotish. Maybe that's a, a depth trade that they look at. But it's again, it's really difficult. You know, you got to be in a desperate situation like they were in 2018 when they went and made the trade for Amari Cooper, because it's really difficult to just infuse somebody in here, especially when things are going as well as they are. But I mean, that's what the the Cardinals just did. You know, they went out and got Zach Ertz, even though they were undefeated. And so maybe Dallas looks at it and says, you know, the right moves out there. All right. So uh, that's the mailbag for this week. I appreciate all the questions that you guys uh, dropped in Uh, before we close up today. I wanted to share a couple of research topics that I tweeted about last week that a lot of you guys seemed interested in. First off, uh, Trayvon Diggs and his quest for the single season record for interceptions. Um, I did some research into this. And so this is all I, I haven't looked into this since the weekend. Um, but, uh, so this is all accurate as of last week, end of last week, Friday, uh, Trayvon Diggs needs eight interceptions in his final 11 games to break Night Train Lane's almost 70-year-old record for interceptions in a season back in 1952. Night Train Lane had 14 interceptions for the Rams. Uh, here are the interception percentages for the current starting quarterbacks left on Dallas's schedule. You've got uh, Kirk Cousins with Minnesota. He has two interceptions on the season, uh, 0.8 interception percentage. Uh, that's down from his 2.2% career interception percentage. You got Teddy Bridgewater, who had four. Again, this is all through Friday, so stuff has changed over the weekend. Teddy Bridgewater, four. That's 2%. Matt Ryan with three, 1.5%. Patrick Mahomes with eight. We know that's gone up um, at 3.3%. Derek Carr with four at 1.7%. Again, Carr went up. He had an interception. Uh, Jameis Winston with three. He's at 2.6% for the season. Taylor Heineke twice on the schedule with six interceptions at 3% for the year. Daniel Jones with four picks. That's at 1.9% for this year. Uh, Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts both with four. Murray at 2.1%. Hurts at 1.9%. So of the 10 quarterbacks left on Dallas's schedule, Heineke twice, as I mentioned, uh, their combined interception percentage for the season as of uh, heading into this past week was 2.1%. And of the quarterbacks that Trayvon Diggs has already intercepted this season, their combined interception percentage in 2021, outside of the games against Dallas, where... Diggs is picking them off and contributing to that. Uh, Outside of that, their interception percentage for the season is 1.6%. So Diggs is already picking off guys uh, who are through this season half a percentage point better on their interception percentage uh, than the guys he's going to be facing off against. The league average is 2.2%. So this group left on the schedule is about league average for throwing interceptions. And of the quarterbacks left on Dallas' schedule, Kirk Cousins 
is 1.4 percentage points lower than his career interception rate. Patrick Mahomes is 1.6 percentage points higher. So in terms of regressing to the mean, you might see Cousins throwing a bit more interceptions as the season goes on and Mahomes kind of flattening out a little bit. Everyone else is within a percentage point of their career numbers. Uh, Winston is 0.8% lower. Matt Ryan is 0.6% lower. Those are the only guys who are half a percentage point outside, outside their averages. So Diggs has actually picked up his seven interceptions against a group that has been more difficult for the league to intercept than those left on his schedule. So that's an encouraging aspect as we look for Diggs to continue to do the impossible. And uh, Cousins and Ryan are the only quarterbacks ranked in the top 10 of interception percentage left on Dallas's schedule. So that's what the schedule looks like for Diggs and his quest for 15 picks. Uh, Now I want to discuss something I tweeted about on Friday, and that's one particular area where the Cowboys are a completely different football team this year. Um, One aspect of Dallas is bend but don't break defense. We've talked about how Dallas is a bend but don't break, but one thing we haven't really discussed discussed enough is how well they're playing when they're trailing. The defense hasn't gotten Dallas into any big, you know, trailing holes this season. Uh, in fact, Dallas's defense has been the best in the NFL when trailing. When trailing the season, Dallas is allowing the fewest yards and points per drive in the NFL this year. They're allowing a first down on just 16.4% of their defensive snaps while tra- trailing. That is the best in the NFL as well. Dallas is generating a turnover on 37.5% of their defensive drives when trailing. The next closest are the Cardinals and the Colts at 25% each. They're allowing just a, a score just 6.3% of the time. New England is second at 20.8%. So Dallas playing way above the rest of the league at limiting scores when they're trailing and uh, turning the ball and generating turnovers when they're trailing. Um, and I had somebody ask me, say, yeah, but how often have they been trailing this season? It's not been much, um, but it's not the least in the NFL. Um, heading into this weekend, they had 16 drives the defense did where they were trailing. And that was tied with three other teams for the eighth fewest. Um, but it was nowhere near like the numbers Buffalo has this year playing defense when trailing. Um, and so Dallas is, is, you know, 16 drives is about a game and a half, uh, a game and three quarters worth of drives. And so Dallas is definitely, you know, this isn't just a zero sample size. And when you're averaging these, these things out per drive and per play and things like that, you can, you know, make it fair enough to where you can compare them to all 32 teams. It doesn't have to be raw numbers. And while the Cowboys defense has allowed its fair share of passing yards this season, they're 30th in the NFL in that or were heading into the weekend. Their pass defense has been incredible when they're trailing. Dallas's defense is allowing just 5.2 net yards per pass on 35 attempts. Their passer rating is 55.7. In fact, while the Cowboys defense is trailing this season, there have been 39 pass plays and they've allowed 10 first downs on those plays and they have sacks or turnovers on nine of them. The one time Dallas allowed a score while trailing the season was a drive that began on their own 35-yard line. And so when trailing, Dallas is the only defense in the NFL this season not to allow a score when the drive starts in the opponent's territory. Like I said, it might have gone unnoticed, but a big reason why Dallas' defense is different this year is how they've played when they're trailing and the pressure is really on. They've gone from one of the worst defenses in the league in those situations in 2020 to the very best one in 2021. Kudos to all these guys who have stepped up and played really well, and kudos to this Cowboys defensive coaching staff, which has made a monumental difference. All right, uh, that does it for today. We've got the Vikings coming up on Halloween night, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Big game for the Cowboys, another chance for them to increase this large lead in the division. Uh, We'll have reaction to it next Monday. Talk to you then. (laughs) 